Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome. We're so glad to have you with us here this evening on Ask Herbal Health Expert Susan Weed, a two-hour radio show each Tuesday night. Herbal medicine is people's medicine, simple, safe, effective. Please bring your curiosity and health questions. Susan will enlighten, surprise, and delight you. I know most of you know Susan Weed already. She's my mom, so I know her. But for those of you who have not yet met Susan, I'd like to share, she is the author of the Wise Woman Herbal Series, wonderful books on women's health and herbal medicine, including Wise Woman Herbal for the Childbearing Year, Breast Cancer Breast Health! Exclamation point, The Wise Woman Way, Healing Wise, The Wise Woman Herbal, New Menopausal Years, The Wise Woman Way, Down There, Sexual and Reproductive Health, The Wise Woman Way. And Abundantly Well, Seven Medicines, The Wise Woman Way, the newest book in the Wise Woman Herbal Series. So exciting. In addition to being the editor at Ashtree Publishing and writing her books, Susan is the director of the Wise Woman Center in Woodstock, New York. The Wise Woman Center is open to the public on appointment-only basis. She offers weekend workshops, intensives, and apprenticeships throughout the season. Susan is also available to you online via wisewomanmentor.com. There you can go and view her weekly e-zine. You can subscribe to receive a notification via email each week, or you could join her mentorship program. Susan also offers distance learning correspondence courses and online courses at thewisewomanschool.com. Join us there for colorful, instructive, easy video courses, including Easy Herbal Medicine with Susan Weed, Happy Knees, a cancer diagnosis, adaptogens for long life, and abundantly well companion course, wisewomanschool.com. You can also just go to her website, susanweed.com, where you will find thousands of pages online with recipes, articles, art features, and so much more. Well, for now, let's see what Susan has to share with us this evening. Thank you, and welcome, Susan. Thank you, Justine, and welcome, Sarah Ellen. Hi, Susan. How are you doing this evening? I'm doing just fine. What a day it was here in the Catskills 
Everyone was dropping their coats and mufflers by the wayside, taking off their shoes and running barefoot through the opening tulips. Oh, what a fun sight. (laughs) How about there? Oh, today we had a rainy day, uh, and storms are expected to roll in, actually, while we're on the phone this evening. Um, But it is warming up, but no... I was going to ask if you were in that area where all of those violent and quite scary storms have been going on. We, in the last bit of it, I think our area did make the national news. The county, a couple counties west of us was where the theater collapse was, and some people were critically injured and um, someone died. So, yeah, there were some storms a few over the weekend that were pretty intense. Um, The trees have really taken numerous hits here between winter and spring. It's it's amazing. Like the trees, oh, I just, oh, I worry about the trees. Well, oh, they're in my awareness. I'll put it that way. They, um, yeah, they just don't seem like they're doing too well around me. So, <clears throat> reaching out and the trees, to, are, the trees are being stressed they by really the are. Uh, yeah, by the extremes yeah. of weather. The, and all life forms are being. St- stressed by the extremes of weather, except here it was actually such a mild winter, and that's one of the reasons why all the flowering bulbs are really, like, coming up Mm. and bursting into bloom, and uh, uh, amazingly so. It's like the first, you know, really warm, really, really sunny day, and it just seemed like all the flowers said, yee-haw, hoorah. And uh, let's see, my granddaughter, Monica Jean, is in Italy with her high school art class, or those of her high school art class who elected to go to Italy for an art tour. And yesterday they were in Venice, and today they might be in Verona. I'm not sure, but they're going to be in um, nine cities in nine days. Actually, I think she's going to be in ten because she got the Pompeii add-on. That's exciting. And because, as you know, they spend the winter in Costa Rica, um, Justine escorted her here um, to make sure that she was here, which was good, to sign all of the papers because there were all kinds of um, things to sign. And so now Justine is going to stay here, is staying here, so she can then take my granddaughter Monica Jean back to Costa Rica at, after she comes home from Italy. So... To keep ourselves occupied, we are making a new video course. Oh. And it's a new video course for those who are dealing with long COVID. That is fabulous. That is estimated at this point to be between 16 and 20 million Americans. Mm. And I was thinking today, wow, if we could even, you know, like reach 16 to 20,000 of those and turn them on to simple and safe herbal remedies. Mm-hmm. From the, the investigating that I have done into it, the thing that strikes me the strongest is that it's difficult to make a definite diagnosis. It's not like it's a disease. It's a syndrome, so it's a collection of symptoms which are 
differing from person to person. So there can't be actually a protocol of treatment because it has to be individualized. And the most important thing is to start your treatment as soon as possible. Or as one um, specialist put it, done damage is done. Mm-hmm. And since we're talking about a post-viral syndrome, that, especially in long COVID, seems to be a neuroimmunological problem, the brain and the nervous system really take a beating. Mm-hmm. One would think, oh, it's the lungs, but it's not. It's as though the virus goes into the nervous system. And, mm-hmm. um Yeah. So, of course, my delight always is that I can so confidently say it doesn't really matter if you have a diagnosis or not. If you think you have long COVID, you can start using anti-inflammatory foods and herbs. You can start getting inflammatory things out of your diet. You can use herbs that nourish and tonify your immune system and your cardiovascular system and your nervous system. You can even safely use herbs that are antiviral like hypericum and astragalus and schisandra and elderberry. We have so many safe options that if somebody's wrong and they don't have long COVID, no harm done, right? That's right. I mean, there's so many benefits just I mean, even if someone's in perfect health, a lot of those nourishing remedies you can take or tonifying. Yeah, absolutely. Hawthorne and Linden, Stragalus. I mean, I don't know which. There's so many options. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So in a way, I have felt like we've done two days of filming now, so we're about 50% done. There's going to be between 40 and 50 videos. You know, the video courses are um, three to five minute segments. And um, so uh, it's really, um, I was thinking, well, you know, you're not being very definite, Susan. I thought, well, you can't be because... Not only do the actual symptoms vary from person to person, although there's a broad group of of symptoms that are pretty obviously this particular post-viral syndrome, and there's other post-viral syndromes. Um, But even within the individual person, the symptoms can change. They can get stronger. They can go away. They can um, cause acute sensitivity. And then, like, someone being very acutely sensitive to, like, scent and then reverse and have no ability to smell. Mm. Mm. So how how perfect... How perfect for herbs and herbal medicine to be able to say to people, here are five herbs that can help your immune system, and you can play around with them and find out what suits you and what works for you. Mm. Yes. It really is. I mean, if there is a silver lining to long COVID, it, it is that herbs really are the perfect answer to, I mean, it's, 
everybody seems so mystified and have to put their finger on exactly what's going on, but the herbs don't have to do that because they get in and they know you and they know what they need to do. And I just think it's, it's interesting. So, wow, I'm excited for your class. That's um, fabulous idea. Yeah. And, and we're getting ever so close now to the Hypericum conference. Oh, 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 oh. It's so true. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I'm even talking more and more to presenters. So I think, like, the excitement is just, it's, it's definitely through and through mm-hmm. because presenters are contacting me and just things are bubbling. So it's. That's really, really bubbly. The T-shirts are at the printers. I have approved the dye batches. I picked a a marble-deep, all-over tie-dye, dark blue for the Hypericum goddess with purple rays shooting out of her raised arms and fingers, and a, a a mix of aquas for the one who is sitting sedately, crowned by Hypericum blossoms. And mm-hmm. there are also shirts with both goddesses, um, and those are dark blue with uh, upraised arms on the front and the serene goddess on the back. And mm. those are right now available at the Wise Woman Bookshop. So if you were disappointed last year, it's like, oh, my gosh, what happened to those comfy T-shirts? They were there, then they were gone. We do run only limited amounts. Um, last year, there was an extremely limited amount because Durga Yael, wonderful Durga Yael, um, wanted there to be a limited amount. Said we go with what she's doing. It's her art. And she, you know, she had like one eyebrow up about T-shirt. You're bringing my art on T-shirt. But then when she saw it, and of course the comfy shirt is just so wonderful. And oh, wait till you see the Hypericum shirts. Um, so this year she was generous enough to say that I could print uh, more. Um, and then I said, I want to do both goddesses. And they have like doubled the minimum from what it was last year. So she really graciously allowed me to get the minimum number that I can get of each of the shirts, which still means there's a minimum number that I can offer for sale. So they're at the Wise Woman Bookshop right now. And, yes, I ordered lots of, of good sizes. Yes, and actually, I am looking at them because I also see them. They're on the marketplace already. Oh, good. So, um, with the pictures are there. They're so beautiful. Oh, okay. wow, wow, wow. Yes, they are. Mmm, <laughs> so lovely. Mm. Oh. All yes. right. Yeah. What else do you want to share about what's going on where you are? Oh, I... Same as last week here, the weather is doing its spring thing and a little bit more windy and just planting and um, getting our food garden going this year. And um, that's really all, all that's kind of happened. It's, it kind of feels like Groundhog Day right now, but it, it's good. I'm excited. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
so today um, we were making videos I was talking about inflammation because of course um, all post-viral syndromes including long COVID uh, are the result of inflammation in this case inflammation in the brain and I was talking about the role of omega-3 fatty acids to mm. inflammation and to good cognitive functioning. And so it really struck me when I saw this article that um, they looked at um, what was going on with chronic kidney disease. Um, and they wanted to see are there omega-3 uh, fatty acids in the study, and what they found was that while the people who ate higher levels of omega-3 fatty acids had less kidney disease, that the fatty acids, the omega-3 fatty acids, were not equal. The omega-3 fatty acids that came from fish and shellfish were associated with significantly lower risk of chronic kidney disease, while the omega-3 fatty acid, it's not actually a fatty acid, it's ALAF, a linoic acid, and it's a precursor to omega-3, from plant oil, seeds, and nuts was not associated with lowering the risk. Mm. Interesting. Um, to me, especially interesting because so many articles I read seem to equate them, that you can get omega-3 from fish and shellfish or from mm. nuts and seeds, and they're not the same, and the body doesn't recognize them as the same either. And... The U.S. Preventative Services Task Force, if you've read abundantly well, you know this is one of my favorite groups. It's a, I believe, volunteer group of um, people who are devoted to preventative health care, you know, med all medical professionals. It's an independent volunteer panel of national experts that makes evidence-based recommendations to improve health. Well, they recently reviewed all available evidence on the effects of vitamin, mineral, and multinutrient supplements. Based on the available evidence, they recommended against the use of beta-carotene or vitamin E and found insufficient evidence to make a recommendation for any other supplement, vitamin, mineral, or multinutrient. Mm. If you've been listening to this show from the beginning or going to my classes for decades now, this is not a new idea to you. In fact, you are chuckling all the way to the bank because you've been saving money for years and years and years by not buying any supplements, but by drinking nourishing herbal infusions. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. And we have an amazing guest coming to speak to us.
Canite. Her name is Amber Elizabeth Gray. Her father said she was born dancing and fighting. She's traveled to explore movement and dance-based community and healing traditions. Her clients, all survivors of political violence, torture, and war, are her co-collaborators. They inspire what she teaches, restorative movement psychotherapy, and polyvagal-informed somatic dance movement therapy. Mm. Hang in there with us until 9 o'clock, and you can hear Amber Elizabeth Gray or come back at 9 o'clock. That's East Coast time. And with that, shall we switch gears and start answering people's questions? Absolutely. We've got some hands raised already, so it sounds great. I'll remind everyone that if you have a question for Susan this evening, please press 1. And that will show me that you have a question. I'll see your hand go up in the queue, and I will open your line when it is your turn for your question. Our first caller, well, we have three callers that have already pressed one to show that they have a question. And our first caller has dialed in from the 845 area code. From the 845, you are live with Susan. Hi, Susan. Hi. How are you tonight? I am still alive, but I have a short story that is quite distressing. Last week I started feeling not good, and I had some sensations. I was afraid that I was dying, and the sensation was that as I stand or walk, I have no bones, and my entire body turns into a jello and collapses. Uh, It didn't happen on the street. And I always collapsed into a chair, so nothing happened except that I was frightened to death to the point that I went to see my cardiologist, whom I didn't see in two years. Um, As you know, don't think greatly about getting medication. And um, she uh, told me to do some uh, blood work, and my daughter was with me because she brought me there, and she was very concerned, and uh, she said, tell her not to eat salt. (laughs) I continued my uh, lifestyle as before, um, even though, yes, I have a heart disease and blood pressure going up. So uh, I came back home, and I tried to uh, eat a meal without salt, and I felt like I'm eating medication, which for me is, is a very bad word. I don't have good connotations with medication of any kind. And um, I was very upset and very dizzy and very uncomfortable. And I I struck a prayer. And about five minutes I'm going to read uh, the side effects of the medication I'm taking. And after two long pages I read uh, incompatible with a list of I don't know what medications because I don't take them. So... I looked right through the end, and there it was, St. John's wort, which I took because I was in great pain, and I thought, that's going to help me. And I took, fortunately, I think, uh, just one day, twice, and maybe another day, and uh, I poisoned myself. 
I, I never had that sensation. Uh, and, uh, of course... Um, well, actually, if there was an effect from hypericum, it would be the opposite effect. You mean it would rigidify me? The supposed effect of hypericum, St. John's Wort, is to make your body get rid of the drugs you're taking too fast. So you could supposedly get pregnant if you were taking birth control pills because your body gets rid of the hormones too fast. This is because hypericum supposedly activates a certain enzymatic pathway in the liver which helps to clear um, things like drugs, which, of course, don't actually belong in your body. The interesting thing, of course, is um, that pretty much they have tagged that it's a particular constituent in the plant, which is hyper... Oh, are you still there? I am here, but I... Oh, okay. For some reason, I got very quiet, which is hyperforin. And hyperforin um, is can be standardized. So if you're taking a standardized tincture or if you're taking a capsule of hypericum, then you can possibly get enough hyperforin to actually activate that enzymatic pathway. Although the actual reports of it happening um, are pretty small. Um, in study after study, looking at what happened when women actually took standardized um, extracts or capsules of hypericum, standardized hyperforin, and took birth control pills. Some of the hormones were cleared from their body more quickly. Others were not. There was no ovulation, and no one got pregnant. And yet you will see in book after book, um, you cannot take birth control pills and hypericum. So you couldn't have poisoned yourself. And it's unlikely that what you took even interacted with the drug because it's not like there's an interaction between the hypericum and the drug. The hypericum interacts with the liver and then the liver does something to the drug. Yeah. I understand that. Uh, the problem is I'm dizzy and very weakly, and uh, I would be very happy to stop the medication, but uh, I have no desire to see another doctor. And uh, so the, the medication that you're taking that the cardiologist asks you to take, do you know what kind of medication it is? Yeah, it's metoprolol, and apparently it works for uh, blood pressure. And if my blood pressure goes lower, she explained to me that my heart would feel better. That's true. Yeah. That's absolutely true. So since you're taking this medication, you feel dizzy. Um. Even the medication before I felt dizzy, yes. I never felt dizzy in my life. Uh, five years ago, I got the shingles, and the neuropathy is with me until today. I carry the pain of it, not the skin. 
lesions. It's uh, the skin healed after two weeks. And that pain is terrible. And I want to get rid of the pain, and I want to get rid of uh, the medication, and I want to eat salt, and I do. <laughs> and I'm a, ba- I'm a very ga- bad patient. Only about 10% of the population is actually sodium sensitive. Uh, while it is true that the vast majority of Americans are consuming too much sodium, it is not too much salt that they are consuming. There's a, a frequent confusion. The sodium chloride is table salt, but there are lots of other sodiums that are added as food preservatives. How many foods that contain food preservatives are you eating? I'm not eating preservatives, and I use only Himalayan salt, and I love so, it. So the advice for you to stop using salt is pointless and inane. And the next day, I was back into my salt. <laughs> of course, because you actually you need salt. It, you know, it's an electrolyte. I need salt, right. and I fat, and I like French fries in good oil. And uh, I love my extra virgin olive oil, and, of course, I'm fat, you know, and the cholesterol. I mean, all those terminologies are pretty bad. And I am fat, yeah, and I am heavy. But I was fat and heavy when I was pregnant, and I wasn't hurting. So I'm 81 in May, and uh, I want a miracle of resurrection. I'm so glad you do. I do. I do. I'm so angry. Angry enough to resurrect yourself, yes. Yes, my anger is the only thing that moves me somewhere. Otherwise, I'm uh, <laughs> I'm very relaxed, yeah. <laughs> so, hooray then for your anger. Just tell me how to do it. Well, you know, the interesting thing about miracles is we can't do it. Right. (laughs) We get out of the way of it, but we can't actually do it. I think I may have told you the story. It was quite moving to me of the man, I don't remember his name, who was in an accident, I believe he was on a bicycle, and his spine was severed. And he was told that he had to have this operation and have his spine fused and metal rods put in his spine, or he would never walk again. And he just couldn't imagine that. He really didn't want that. And he thought, wait, I'm sure that my body knows and to do this, I have to just be able to imagine my spine in perfect health. And so he began this process of imagining every single bit of his spine in perfect health. This took him forever. At first, he 
he would lose his focus after a minute or two when he finally was able to, you know, like start to really be able to hold and envision, right, the, the couple of the small bones of the coccyx, right? And then he gradually, and it took him a long time to be able to actually envision his entire spine in complete and perfect health. And from that moment on, when he was actually able to accomplish that, he said he just started living that, that his spine was in perfect health. And the the somatic experience of that created it. It created him. He created it. Found it a very moving story. Yes, I know imagination does unbelievable things, and also the connection with the spirit world that intervenes. I, I feel, I feel protected no matter what things I do that don't sound good to the people from the allopathic university. But I am in the pain for too long and every time I'm trying to move a little more I hurt much more so uh, this last week I lied in bed and I read and listened to music I love it but it's really not a life so one of the things that um, characterizes long COVID is malaise and especially post-exertional malaise that you you know, get up and you make a cup of coffee and that's it. You have to go back to bed and take a nap from the malaise, the, the exhaustion of that small exertion. And so while exercise is a very good thing, it counters inflammation, this inflammatory syndrome, uh, it's just too much to ask anyone who's experiencing that kind of malaise to exercise. And so I thought about this, and I asked the grandmothers about this, and they said, well, how about breathing exercises? And I thought, oh, yes, of course. We can all do breathing exercises. I do, yeah. Yeah. I didn't have so, it, by the way, and I didn't have vaccine either. I completely refused that, and I heard of people and terrible things happen, and my grandson has long COVID now, yeah. Mm. I, I don't have COVID. Mm-hmm. No, I wasn't suggesting that you did. But that if you are having a difficult time exercising, that breathing exercises do count as exercise. Yes, yes, I, I, I do that. I do that. But my body is very weak because everything I can do is full support of the floor. Otherwise, I get into trouble. You know, and, you, and so much of the Feldenkrais work is done with the full support of the floor, so you have a lot of things you can do. Yeah, there are a lot of things I can do. I can have an horizontal lifestyle. (laughs) (laughs) I hear you. You know, I have a friend who has multiple sclerosis, and she has refused all drugs to treat her multiple sclerosis. She's had multiple sclerosis for almost 40 years now. And she says her drug is cannabis, and that's it. 
And actually, they have scanned her brain throughout this time, and she has very few lesions in her brain. They're quite interested in her, you know, like kind of study of one total drug refusal but uses cannabis on a daily basis. And um, she has lost so much to the multiple sclerosis, she can't move her arms or her legs and uh, not very, even very much of her, her head anymore. And um, so I'm always, always touched when I talk to her and see her continuing on, continuing on day after day. It's quite exquisite to draw breath, to be here, to be present no matter what it is that we can't do. Yes, I am now into chronic pain groups. Yeah, I I am learning about that. Yeah, Yeah. and I hear you. I hear you. So, uh, gather you rosebuds while you may, right? Get out there and live a life to the juiciest while you can so that when you are laid low you have memories to romp through yes i'm writing i'm imagining i'm feeling other people i'm very busy i i'm all over yes (laughs) so you do have a life you see it's not you know it's not the life of a tennis star or an astronaut right no, I never wanted that. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> but nonetheless, you know, it is a life that intersects with other lives in ways that are meaningful to you and those others. Yes, that's true. And really, what more could we ask for than to draw breath and to live lives that offer something to others? Yeah, I do that. I pray. You do that, and you have done so much of that. I pray for, for people now, yeah. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Your, your life itself, you're continuing to breathe. Your very life is a prayer that benefits all of us. Amen. Thank you. on to the next caller. Thank you so much, Susan. Green blessings. Good night. I love you. You too. All right. And I will remind everyone listening, if you've got a question and would like to speak live with Susan this evening, please press 1 so that we can see your hand go up in the queue. And our next caller has dialed in also from the 845 area code. From the 845, you are live with Susan. Hello, Susan. Hi. How are you tonight? Oh, I'm feeling pretty happy, actually. Um, Since that alignment a week ago with all the planets. Oh, wasn't it beautiful? uh, Mm. It was was magnificent. And 
I had listened to an astrologer about this coming time, and I was really on the fence, like, oh, yeah, well, we'll see, you know, maybe other people, but not me. And uh, lo and behold, it's it's like a whole new world. It's it's like it's like I put my my finger on the go button, and anything I'm trying to accomplish now is working, which had not been working for quite some time. And I didn't give up before. I just took a rest and a pause and waited and said, okay, I'll try again. And it's really been a thrill just, you know, to find every single thing that hasn't worked out now is suddenly in motion. Wow. I, I'm pretty I'm pretty floored uh by this magical time and I I really hope and pray that other people that find difficulty in their waiting can just, you know, just know that sometimes you don't have to do anything except for wait and try again at another time because, you know, there's a time for everybody and who knows why it's not our time when we want something so bad and and it's just not happening. You know, you know what I mean? Yes. Yes, you think, is it just, that my magic isn't good enough or am I just, you know, not good enough? But no, none of that is true. That Yeah, it, you do think those that, that there is That there is a tide and there is a movement and that shoving and grasping don't work. That doesn't mean we're not going to try them. But if yeah. you try them and they don't work, then you can remember, oh, yeah, somebody told me they wouldn't work. I really didn't do anything different. I just repeated the same thing I was trying to do in the exact same way. <laughs> and this time the answer was yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Oh, how mag- so magnificent. I just, I just hope that I can... Uh, share that wisdom with other people and and be kind to them when their time is no and they're frustrated and and you know ornery with me that I can remember uh, how frustrated it it does feel to not be able to get the answers we want when we want them because they're coming. Maybe the maybe the answer isn't good enough, so the answer is trying to figure out how to be better. I don't know. So one of the answers I have coming up is I am blessed with the good fortune of being able to see one of the top reconstruction surgeons in the world. And I, I can hardly believe that I'm good enough to be consider wow yes and i thought who better could i ask about what might i want to keep in the back of my mind or in the front of my mind uh to talk about what some of the 
different, mm, let's say, methods of, you know, I'm not sure if it's going to be tissues, bones, marrow, ligaments, tendons, or all of them. I'm really not sure. I just, I do know that um, I was told, I don't know, but I was told by some people up here that the bone was, well, I told you already that the bone was the worst bone they had ever seen, that it was degenerated to, to, to beyond belief. Yes. So there's there's that. And um, the, 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 the larger problem was with the bone marrow. And I, you don't have to go into details or anything about what you had to go through. You've been very forthcoming uh, with, you know, types of reconstruction that, that you had. But I, on the one hand, I'm, I'm tempted to just say, well, she's the expert. Don't ask any questions. If she doesn't want, if she doesn't need to know anything from you, then you don't need to be bothering her about, well, where is this coming from? You know, where's this bone coming from? Where's this tissue coming from? Where's this collagen coming from? Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But I don't know because... Most doctors would welcome those questions. I was quite surprised when um, I was going to the wound care center that um, they were telling me about all of the different materials that were available for non-surgical skin grafts. Right. And the reason that this one might be used in this case or this one might be used in this other case. And they were quite enjoying talking about it and had no problem at all answering questions about it. So I suspect that that would be true, that uh, there would be an openness to talking with you about it and to sharing with you um, their thoughts about what to use. They might even want to ask you, well, what do you think? Would you rather have this or that? I don't know. It's okay to think that someone's an expert if you want to, but it does a disservice to them and to you. Because they can't really be an expert about you unless they know about you and unless you share with them. Well, I do know... One thing I shared with them, which is the condition I'm in, um, they had never had a patient with this problem before in, mm. wow. in this special hospital for surgery. And it took them several weeks with many doctors trying to figure out what was going on before they finally said the the bone marrow just leaked right out oh. like water. And uh, talk about pain and swelling and, like, you know, elephantitis, you know, it was just ba-boom. Like, wow. Even now, I just took off my cast because I was out at the 
doing some errands at the post office and the library. And just wearing that cast for like mm, three, four hours, mm-hmm. there's bumps and swelling and, and bruising all over. So, because you wore the cast to go out? Uh, yes. Got yes. Um, and I'm probably not a candidate yet for the surgery, but if they could say I'm a candidate at all, I would like to hear those good words because the other uh, words being told to me thus far from anyone else is that you cannot be fixed, and I refuse to believe that. I know that's not true. Right. My friend who who took me around today in the car, um, they put six inches of bone in his leg 20 years after an operation that nobody would do. He had to go all the way to California to get it. Wow. And, and now, yeah, now they have doctors. That doctor trained a bunch of doctors, and now they're in New York City training other doctors, and I have the new whiz kid on the block, and she's just great. Um, and he also works for a, a science lab, and he, he said he was just at a place called Collagen Matrix in New Jersey, and I looked it up, and it's a lab where they create all kinds of collagen and tissue and stuff like that. Wow. It's really, it's really uh, blowing my mind away. I, I I thought this was just like for military people, but apparently it's it's coming to the, you know, the layman's world now, uh, where it's it's a lot easier for them to do this kind of stuff. You know, make a sort of bionic limb or what whatever you want to call it. You know. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, I thought, like, wow, I needed all the planets lined up just so I could get to that, get to the yes. gate and go, yes. you know. <laughs> so thanks for encouraging me. I, I, I will definitely. Uh, ask if it, if, it, if it is brought to the table. Um, it, it, it's very likely they, that I will be told to go home and come back again at another time. But who knows? Who knows? Yeah, who knows? Um, yeah. I, I tried to I tried to go to the bone doctor, um, but it was COVID, and all they would give me is uh, telehealth appointments. And all they did was do blood work, and they repeated it again and again and again. And all they said was, your vitamin D is too high, your calcium's too low. And they gave me some pills that I took one and, and had heartburn for three months. So I said, oh, I'm not taking that. Oh, uh, Yeah, something to stop bone loss. But I'm not trying to stop bone loss. I'm trying to get calcium to stick to this part of my bones and this one part of the bone because it's so traumatized is calcium's just not sticking so um yeah i'm going to ask her all the questions about how are we going to find this out um and then the 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 bone marrow thing um 
they always say, oh, you don't want that. It hurt. It's so painful. And I'm like, so is not walking for the rest of your life. That's painful too, you know? <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take I'll take the pain, but I, I don't know. I, I guess it's one of those things, again, you got to just keep asking and asking and asking. And you just keep knocking on the door, and eventually they're like, oh, okay. Right. All right. Right. I think that's exactly what you have to do. Well, I'm doing it. Good for you. So, yeah, thank you. Um, we'll see what happens. And um I've been trying to write this book, and um, I, I'm on my third carnation because the first one I didn't think uh, I I could get through it emotionally. And the second one, somebody accused me of exploiting people with it. So I finally uh, realized that I, I wanted to try to follow in the wise woman tradition and just pick one subject, uh, one which in my case is legs, and write everything I've learned and I know about them for the last 22 years. Something that wow. can really help people because everybody's going variant at one time or another. The misfortune of not being able to ambulate. What or, a, or having it be very you're painful. you're waiting for us. Thank you. Well, no, thank you, Susan, because you're the role model. This is what you've done with your life. And there's no better way I could honor your life than to honor my own life and share what I've learned and try to save people from a lot of grief. Thank you. So, um, I, uh, thank you, Susan. Thank you so much. Nobody has really ever inspired me in this way. And it is such an honor and a privilege to realize that I can see in you, I can see myself. All right. And, and yeah. yeah. So um, let's get off of this subject before I have to get the tissues out. But, <laughs> okay, um, next subject. <laughs> the... Um, funny thing is I got my mail today and um, I saw on the corner it said time and I'm thinking time magazine what was what, what the heck they bothering me for and I look and it says Susan weed it was your mail Wow so I don't know how many times they do that to people that and people never know about it, but I was just wondering. So you received my mail. Yes, I did. Amazing. Uh huh. I'm 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 33, and it said Susan Weed 64. Box 64. Oh yeah, yeah, I get other people's mail too, but usually it's box 164. <clears throat> yeah. Which is odd, you know, honest mistake. So, yeah, uh, it, it was it was obviously just a subscription. You know, they want you to renew. No something. big deal. Well, it, 
It said, welcome back. I could see welcome right through back. the envelope. <laughs> Discount 91%, just so you oh, know. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't think you would want it, but I, I thought uh, I should tell you anyway. You. <laughs> I, I thought I, I should tell you that. So I updated my browser. It took about an hour. I did it at the library so I can get into your bookstore now and into all the uh, fancy websites that I have been blocked out of for about a year or so since everybody's updated their browsers and I was behind. So I'm so happy to hear hear about the T-shirts because I would really dig one of those. I really, really would love to have one of your memorabilia for your work. Yeah. Yes, Durga Yael's beautiful artwork of the Hypericum goddess, whichever you choose or choose them both. And um, happy days, happy life, yeah. happy life in Woodstock is the title. Yeah. It does the title I've for it, happy a- life. And they have a whole, oh, all, all of their shirts are just wonderful. I love Happy Life. I haven't had a tie-dye anything in years. I, well, no, I have a, a pair of tie-dye, like, um, you know, put, uh, stretchy pants, whatever you call them, you know, yeah. the legging things. Leggings. Like. Yeah, I, but not from Happy Life, but I do love Happy Life. They do good work. They do really good work. Huh. Who would think it would become such a popular thing all over the world? I remember when it was just a Woodstock hippie thing. <laughs> <laughs> now, wherever you go, people are wearing tie-dye. <laughs> wherever you go. Yeah, so I'm traveling the world in my mind uh, with the help of other people, uh, you know, other people's memories and um, remembering my own, that's a fine thing to do when you can't get out and around anymore. And uh, it's amazing how much we can remember what we've done in our life that we somehow forget when we're wallowing in, in the I can't, you know. And uh, one, of the, one of the things in my book is a chapter just on uh exercise for people who can't uh stand up or move their legs uh not move their legs but you know stand up on them uh so i i hope that's helpful to some people and i i i hope i can keep my good fortune coming because the the reality of getting something like this together is real hard work Yes, huh? <laughs> oh, my. My, my. <laughs> <laughs> you forget how many things you need to, to accomplish the whole thing. But everybody's being very generous, and I've been offered some very nice marketing things uh, ahead of schedule. So that kind of gives me a little juice to, like, oh, I got to try. I got to keep going. Yes, you know, yes. They're waiting, they're waiting. <laughs> so thank you so much, Susan. You are so welcome. Delight to 
enjoy the adventure of life with you. <laughs> Many more to come, I hope. To be continued. Okay. Good night. Good night. Green blessings. Green blessings. All right. And looks like we have one caller that has raised their hand with a question. I'll remind everyone that if you have a question for Susan this evening, please press 1 so that we can see your hand go up in the queue. And our next caller has dialed in from the 917 area code. From the 917, you are live with Susan. Hi, Susan. Hi. Hi. Um, I seem to have gotten myself in a pickle. Is it a lacto-fermenter or vinegar pickle? <laughs> oh, I prefer lacto-ferment. So. But um, it's my, my fibroid situation. I, I've had them for quite some time. I have, I think now, four very large fibroids. And I've been able to, I think I've had every symptom under the sun. If you Google, you know, fibroids, everything. But I've managed over several years to manage my symptoms to the point where, you know, I'm not thinking about it all the time and I'm not in pain. Um, But I do have flare-ups. And it's sort of like I know what I need to do or I have known what I need to do. And then, you know, diet-wise, I do my nourishing herbal infusions. Um, I've been doing, I've kind of gone through doing aerobic exercise. That really helped for a while. And then I it sort of shifted. And then I injured my, my foot, so I was, couldn't run, which is what I was liking doing. I dance, I do yoga, and um, I move my body. But lately, it's been breath work, actually. It's funny you were mentioning breath work, but that's been the thing that, has really um, profoundly just, I was feeling so good for a really long stretch. Even though um, I do get them checked out, I do go to my doctor and um, I try to do minimal imaging, but um, they're still growing. And so even though I've had them pretty much under control, um, they're still growing and I do have flare-ups Occasionally, the one that I've had since last week um, feels different. Sorry. Uh, I just, I feel like I think I need to get it out, get them out. I've been trying to avoid surgery. I'm I'm 47. I'll be 48 uh, in May, and I've been trying to wait till menopause at least if I were going to have surgery. And I'm terrified. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm mm-hmm. terrified. Mm-hmm. And when when you say there's a n- new one, is this an experience that you're having, that you feel like there's a new growth? Um, well, I knew I, I had a I, – I did have um, – I ended up having an MRI. I, I said no for years to the MRI. I had some ultrasounds, but not as frequently as they wanted me to, but just to keep track. 
I did have an MRI and they told me I had four now instead of three. One is quite large. One is pedunculated. But I do now, I guess when I, like this last flare-up, I feel like they've it's just grown or something has grown. Like it's invading my organs now. You know what I mean? Like I feel it in places that I wasn't feeling it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I, um, the people that I spoke to, about fibroids said that big fibroids are the least problematic. Okay. And that they are usually um, what they described as older, less active fibroids. And that the newer fibroids or more active ones tend to be little. Fibroids, as you said, can be inside the uterus or actually in the muscle of the uterus. They can be on a little stalk, a pedunculated one. Mm -hmm. The fibroids themselves, although they are often called fibroid tumors, aren't tumors. We don't know, if anything, what causes them, but they're so terrifically common. Um, It's, you know, kind of like pathologizing freckles. Uh, what, What is of concern is pain and bleeding. And fibroids can cause very intense pain and very scary bleeding. Yes, I, I've had intense pain. <laughs> I mean, I've had so much pain that I felt like I was in labor, but I've been able to manage and the bleeding. I've done yoni steaming and just every, you know, I've just done so much. And I've really been able to manage my symptoms, but yet they still continue to grow, and I, I haven't been concerned um, necessarily, so even though the pain, uh, but the, I, pain, the pain comes irregularly, but it's worse when it comes. Well, this particular kind of I call it a flare-up, but um, uh-huh. that I've had since last week, I it's like I'm feeling it. I feel like I'm feeling it, like I'm. Like it's pressing against my kidneys, or it's like compressing. Uh, uh-huh. Well, organs. you know, most and people don't know where their kidneys are, so I'm going to ask okay. you: um, Are your kidneys above your belly button or below your belly button? Oh, that's a good question. Okay, um, above, a little bit yes. above. Yes, your kidneys yeah. are above your belly button. Your kidneys are behind your ribs, near your spine. Yeah. Yeah. So. Uh, maybe you could have a fibroid that was pressing on your kidneys, but... Right. but <laughs> probably not. Probably not. Probably okay. not. I, I, I will, I'm going to share with you what I'm seeing. And this could be totally wrong. But you said, oh, I'm just, you know, waiting to menopause. I just want to get the menopause. <laughs> yeah. And really what I heard you saying was, I just want to get to the other side of menopause, but 
just like with my 15-year-old granddaughter, who when she was 12 said, could I go immediately to 21? And we said, oh, if only you could. Mm-hmm. That's not what happens. We go through puberty and we go through menopause, and they are times of incredible upheaval and especially emotional upheaval. And that's what I hear going on with you. Mm-hmm. Is that you are moving into menopause and you're moving into menopause emotionally. And these times of change cause us to envision major changes. Yes. I I have been just in my other life, my non-fibroid life, it it has, well, first of all, I also feel like the fibroids have taught me, they've just been like my greatest teacher, to be honest. And I've learned so much. Um, And I've been, yeah, I I am a very impatient person. <laughs> so We all are. <laughs> yeah. They my kids and my fibroids have taught me a lot of patience and it's I do it's like every time I do feel like I got to have surgery some something happens or thus far something has happened to like it I it calms down and I kind of get but I don't like this feeling of wishing I were through menopause to be honest because because I mean I in a way I do wish I were through menopause I'm kind of over having you know my cycle but um I am I do feel like I am gaining my power and I am excited about that um so maybe I am excited for menopause <laughs> Yes, <laughs> and it is disruptive. Yeah, and you know, it's not easy as a teenager to have things changing so much. But it's even worse as grown up, because you're kind <laughs> of like. Got it, got it made, got it set, everything good, check, 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 and then suddenly here comes menopause and just kicks the <laughs> out of it, you know? Mm-hmm. And and it's really easy to resist. Mm. And to say, oh, yeah, well, everybody else can change, but I don't need to change. Oh, I'm, I'm definitely changing. There's definitely... Yeah. yeah, there's a yeah. metamorphosis going on. But I yeah. also feel like I'm six months pregnant. <laughs> I really the, do, really do hear that. Now, do I mean, you I look, look like I, do you look like you're six yeah. months pregnant? I do. I mean, I yeah. I not maybe not. I don't know. Maybe not six months. Maybe but my doctor told me I was like twenty, twenty weeks, twenty four weeks, mm-hmm. the size of. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a bit cumbersome, but I'm trying to, um, you know, go with it. So if you had surgery, you would have your uterus removed. I know. Which I've been, I don't, yeah. Yeah. 
which, as Dr. Long said, it's kind of like taking a meatball out of a bowl of spaghetti. <laughs> At first, I thought it was a really appalling image, but I kind of got what she was talking about. Dude, I don't get and, it. <laughs> and I will tell you that of all of the things that they cut out of me, I thought that I would miss my uterus the most. Mm. But really what I miss the most are the bones that they cut out. Mm. Yes, Mm -hmm. my grief Mm -hmm. about not having my bones has been Mm. much deeper. And it's Mm -hmm. like like the, the, what I kind of call my spiritual uterus or my, you know, my evoked Mm -hmm. uterus is just so powerful and so strong Mm -hmm. that the fact that there isn't a physical one there, like, hardly ever occurs to me. Mm-hmm. Now that is also quite possibly because I told them I wasn't doing it unless they left my ovaries. Yes, yes, yes. So it's yeah. worth, you know, finding the surgeon who's going to be willing to leave your ovaries. Yeah, yeah. There's no sure. reason, especially since you might consider a hysterectomy due to fibroids for them to take your mm-hmm. ovaries. Mhm. Although they want to, and unless you mm-hmm. specifically, you know, make them sign in their mother's blood, they will do it. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. So you have Thank to be you. vigilant, and you have to demand that yeah. particular okay. right. Mhm. And if okay. so, then it's surgery. It's obviously yeah. surgery, but it's not yeah. risky surgery. Okay. And you know better than to take opioid painkillers. Yes, absolutely. And yeah, I'm. Mm-hmm. And there comes a time when you do say. I have done everything, and now I am going on to deep medicine. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Only you know when that is. Yeah. Thank you very much. I really, um, I really appreciate your your wisdom and all of your teachings. Thank you so much for sharing your story with us. I appreciate you. Thank you. Dream blessing. Dream blessing. All right, and we have one caller with their hand raised, and they are calling in from the 986 area. You are live with Susan. Hello. Hi. Hi, Susan. Um, Hello. Yes, I can hear you now. Okay, good. I couldn't hear you there. How are you doing today? Oh, it was such a beautiful day here. How about you? Oh, it's so sunny here today, too, after it had snowed for the past few days. And the... oh, I'm grateful for the sun. Yes. So, so what's um, up with you? I had had a few questions. I had, I have been sick for about um, a month and a half. I had had a cold and then I got a cough and 
antibiotics for my tonsil because it was super swollen for a few weeks and then it didn't help at all. So my doctor was recommending that I get my tonsils removed and I would just love a second opinion or third opinion about it. So your tonsils are very swollen. You have taken one of them. And you've taken antibiotics, and they, that doesn't seem to help. Yes. Yes. Um, well, I'm a tonsilless person myself. My tonsils, in fact, got so big when I was quite small that they actually prevented me from eating, and I began to lose weight very rapidly. And they said when they took my tonsils out, I think I was just a little over two years old, that they were the size of a man's fist. Oh, well. Hey. So I guess I'm really happy that they took my tonsils out because um, I guess I would have started to death if they hadn't, and that would not have been fun, and then I wouldn't be here now. Um, <laughs> and um, it has never bothered me one way or the other. I have n- never had a uh, a moment's pause of, oh, I wish they had taken my tonsils out or anything of the sort. Of course, it was, you know, I was very young when it happened, and my parents owned an ice cream stand, and you get, after a tonsillectomy, all the ice cream you want. So that was just like, you know, kid heaven, right? <laughs> yeah, they told me you lost the pop. Well, I was going to do this to you, but now you get to eat all the ice cream you want. It's like, how bad can it be? <laughs> yeah. Right. So, you, so you can stock up, you know, on good organic gelato or something like that. Make yourself some yogurt fruit smoothies to have on hand. Cold, right, sweet liquids are going to be, uh, and, uh, Really cold nourishing herbal infusions. If you decide oh, yeah. that that you are going to um, let them take your tonsils, I don't know um, if anti-infective herbs would help. It's possible. You know, uh, mm-hmm. if you want to try using echinacea, uh, you could even probably schedule the surgery and still use echinacea. And if it worked, you could. This schedule the surgery. Okay. Because you would know pretty much if the echinacea was working, you know, within a few days. Like I've mm-hmm. often seen um, at least some of the signs and symptoms of infection remiss often within the first eight hours of using echinacea and always within the first mm-hmm. day and a half. That doesn't mean the whole that your tonsils will be back to normal or completely unswollen, but that you will see that the echinacea is, in fact, taking effect, having effect, and be willing then to continue taking it at fairly, you know, frequent intervals and fairly large amounts. Right. Just so, so one of my tonsils is only swollen about three times the size of the other one. I did want to try some echinacea mixture from a local lady that makes it, and uh-huh. I didn't realize that she had only made it from the leaves and the flowers. Mm-hmm. So I haven't been taking it because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. it had cinnamon in it, and I wasn't sure about cinnamon completely. 
So, um, yeah, if you're going to be taking echinacea to get rid of a really serious infection that antibiotics won't touch, you need Augustifolia root, not purpurea leaves and flowers. And mm-hmm. you need to be taking um, a dropper full for every 50 pounds you weigh. So if you weigh 100 pounds, two dropper fulls. If you weigh 150, three dropper fulls. And taking that every two hours. Okay. Thank you. It is a lot of it in AC, and it is a frequent dose. But as I said, you should see um, symptom remission or something happening very quickly if you take the root of Echinacea augustifolia tinctured in a large enough dose frequently enough. Okay. Okay? And if it doesn't, as I said, if it doesn't get rid of it, and you've already scheduled the tonsillectomy, then nothing lost. You will recover from the surgery far better for having taken the Echinacea. So it's an investment in your health one way or the other. Either it gets rid of it and you can say, okay, I don't really need the surgery, or it doesn't and you can say, okay, well, I do need the surgery, but glad I did the echinacea. Thank you for telling me this. It has really helped me. You are welcome. I know that Red Moon Herbs sells tincture of echinacea augustifolia, and I believe Catskill Mountain Herbals does as well. Okay. Um, I'll just order that online. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Um, yep. You've always been the one I turn to every time I've had a sickness or a problem or anything. I've just always Googled what my problem was and on your page. It's always helped me. I've been glad I'm to sh- talk to you today. Thank you for sharing with us tonight. <clears throat> Dream blessings. Thank, Thank you. Thank you. I hope you have a great night. I am. Good night. Tonight. All right, and I'll remind everyone listening, if you have a question for Susan this evening, we've got about eight minutes before our guest is scheduled to join us. So press one, and we'll see your hand go up in the queue. That's just pressing one, and your hand will be raised. And I do know we have um, an email question that's been here for a little bit. So if you want to go to that. Yeah, let's do the email question. That's a good idea. All right. Hi, Susan. Many green blessings to you. I am so grateful for you and all you share. I think I heard you talk about then, which I also prefer to do as much as possible. But sometimes I need to or have to wear shoes. I am wondering if there are any kinds of shoes that you enjoy or recommend. Thank you. I wear Birkenstocks. They are flat. There's no heel. And to me, that is one of the worst aspects of shoes is the heel, which throws off the entire alignment of the body. Once the heel is raised, and you can 
try this. You know, if you need to, hang on to a wall for support. But stand in your bare feet and then raise your heels and feel what happens. As soon as you start to raise your heels, your entire body rocks forward. The muscles in your lower back and your thighs clench. And I'm not talking about, like, picking your heels up. I'm talking about just even a little bit off the ground. There are also, um, like, dance shoes, which are expensive, more expensive than Birkenstocks, but also flat. And um, I think they're called New Foot, N-U-F-O-O-T. And they have like little grippers on the bottom, but they're just made of cloth. So they're kind of cloth shoes without sole at all. There's no actual sole. You're barefoot, but there are little grippers so you don't slide around. And I have used them outdoors. Yeah, after, you know, a certain amount of use, they do shred. They are simply made of cloth. But um, sometimes when I'm in like, severe outdoor conditions, if I want a little something between my foot and my ground, a new NU foot does the trick for me. All right. Um, and... I do see our guest, that's Linda. Oh, how wonderful. Let me introduce her. Our guest tonight is Amber Elizabeth Gray, who was, in her father's words, born dancing and fighting. A lifetime of dance and travel to explore movement and dance-based community and healing traditions has contributed to her passion for and belief in movement as life. Encouraged to study Haitian dance by Catherine Dunham, initiated a pathway into her own initiation into voodoo. Haitian dance was her portal to Emilia Conrad and Continuum, a revolutionary movement practice arising from Emilia's five years living and dancing in Haiti. Amber believes that every human being's birthright is embodiment. Her 25 years of work as a dance movement therapist, continuum, and yoga teacher include time working and living in conflict and post-conflict zones, exposing her to the harsh realities of human rights abuses. Her clients, all survivors of political violence, torture, and war, are her co-collaborators and inspire the work that she teaches, restorative movement, psychotherapy, and polyvagal-informed somatic, and dance movement therapy. Welcome to the show, Amber. Thank you so much, Susan. Can you hear me? Yes, we can hear you quite well. Okay, great, great. I'm using a new system because I'm in a noisy place, so... Um, well, we don't hear any of that noise. We just hear you. How perfect. Beautiful. All right. Well, you know... Hello. 
there were a lot of words in your introduction that our listeners might be going, huh, what, poly who, right, <laughs> restorative what, continuum, huh? So where do you want to start filling us in on these? Well, I will just begin by saying that all of those refer to or honor and acknowledge influences, teachers, um, places I've been and, you know, either to work or to study, you know, all the wonderful, we all, I think, have teachers and influences on us. Um, and so that's that's who they are. And, and um, I, I'm a firm believer in, you know, I call it bowing to the elders and the ancestors, acknowledging where we come from, because we're certainly never doing our work alone. So um, I think, I don't know, continue, I'll start with continuum. Um, I actually work with many different movement practices. Uh, you know, you've already quoted my my father, which he said that to me when I had to interview him for a um, a class I was taking in, in um, movement, and that that was what came out of his mouth that I was born dancing and fighting. So I've always explored movement. I, I mean, I've always loved to dance, and to me, dance initially was free movement. You know, I'd hear the wind, I'd hear the ocean, I'd hear the waves. I'd hear the birds, I'd be in a meadow, and I would dance. And uh, Isadora. Has, Isadora, yeah, you know, I've never studied Isadora Duncan, but I've studied her. I've mm-hmm. never taken her technique, but I have studied her. And her quote, you were once wild here, don't let them tame you, is probably one of the most significant, like, phrases in my life it's it really is is one of my guideposts yes um yeah yes and continuum i'll just say a little bit about that is i'm a dance so i'm a dance movement therapist dance led me to dance movement therapy which in its simplest form is dance plus psychology we study developmental and somatic or body-based psychology and you part of the requirement to be a dance movement therapist is to be a dancer. It used to be very much um, always modern dancers who had very specific techniques. The field has opened up, thankfully, and in a very timely way to acknowledge other forms of dance that might be less formal or less structured and that are certainly less Eurocentric white body that include other bodies. Um, Continuum is Emily Conrad's work. She actually, like me, ended up landing in Haiti for a period of her life and also being an initiate. And there's many influences on Continuum, but she lovingly references Haiti as as a place of origin where she met, um, you know, the, the I'd say the most fundamental movement in Haitian dance, which is the dance form that I feel the most at home in, um, there's a lot of undulation of the spine or of the whole body. And Emily became very curious as she explored that sacred dance about that wave, that wave motion. And that led her to a lifetime exploration in her body as her own laboratory of, you know, what is human movement, the acknowledgement and recognition that, that which she would say is the wave is the message and the messenger that we are that you know we're we're what seventy eighty percent water just like the earth and so she recognized that that was if you will proof that we are deeply connected to and part of the earth but also that we are mostly fluid 
and our highly structured, sometimes overly fast-paced lives can minimize or diminish um, our ability to be in flow with, with everything that we are part of. So that's that body of work. Um, and I'll pause to see if there's any more questions. <laughs> wow. Okay. That's great. <laughs> so um, how did you wind up in Haiti? That's a very interesting question. I, um, so as I said, I was, I was actually getting a degree in public health in the 80s, and I have to just say that it, that was the time period where I briefly met you, Susan, because I studied with a wonderful woman named White Feather. Um, and it was, it was on your land, and it was like probably in the mid-80s, um, long time ago, but I was getting my M- my public health degree, and I was going to as many dance classes as possible in New York City, which which has, you know, a lot of wonderful options for dance. And I had been a long time, as a a free dancer, um, I wanted to find a modern dance form that suited me. And I found some, but I was was the person in the class who sort of got it, but was was okay or good, but was never going to be great. So I was in Dunham technique. Catherine Dunham spent some time in Haiti and adapted Haitian sacred dance and came up with the Dunham technique. And there was something in it that I was like, oh, I think I can almost do this. And one time I was in a Dunham class in New York City, and there was an elder standing in the corner, a woman, and I didn't know who she was. And she was watching class. And at the end of class, she called me over. And she just looked at me, and all she said is, you should do Haitian traditional dance. That's what lives in your body. And I didn't know what to do. I think I probably flushed. I walked out of class, and everybody in the class was like, what did she say to you? What did she say to you? And I was really irritated. I go, well, who was she? And then they go, well, that was Catherine Dunham. <laughs> and so I said, okay. And so I found a traditional Haitian dance class. Um, it was at the end of my time in New York, and I went to it. And I loved it. And and the way I would describe it is my body, the movement and the dance felt at home in my body. And, you know, I say this with deep reverence and respect because I'm not from Haiti. Um, That particular land, that incredible um, community of people who are all descendants of people who were enslaved in the Middle Passage. So, you know, I come, you know, I'm, I'm not from there. So I have deep honor and respect that I was invited into these dances. Shortly after that, I moved to Santa Fe, New Mexico, um, and, and there was a Haitian dance class offered by a person who's now one of my dearest friends, at least Gent, and somebody told me about it, and I went to her class, and everybody's like, oh, my God, you really know Haitian dance? You've been doing this forever. I said, this is only my second time. So um, those classes were a portal into um, a passion for and a fascination with the dance form, but also the meaning of the dance. The dances, you know, there's, there's, there's cultured dance and there's the way the form is taught, but underneath that is the meaning. And these are dances that get choreographed and expressed by different teachers, but underneath that um, is, is a constant bowing to the spirits who we are dancing with. And... I decided one day that I had to go to Haiti um, and I had to write a thesis. Um, Fast forward after many years of studying Haitian dance, I had to write a thesis when I was studying dance movement therapy at Naropa and I decided to look at, I actually went to um, work with children who were living on the street 
and I ended up finding a program and I spent several, a couple months living, you know, where the street kids were living and being with them and participating in a school program that, that a wonderful young man had set up for them because they didn't have any opportunity to go to school. And he invited me to bring dance in. So respectfully, because I wasn't from Haiti or from West Africa and was introducing those dances um, in the spirit of dance movement therapy, which doesn't focus on a particular dance form, but focuses on dance as as communication, dance as spirit, dance as an acknowledgement that we are a creative process. That's who we are. You know, we are movement and we are a creative process. I just kind of played with the kids and we started to dance and taught each other dances. And um, the focus of my thesis was on voodoo um, and social trauma and um, working with dance as, as, as a bridge. And um, I fell in love with Haiti and she called me in. I went back multiple times. I ended up going back to set up a program for victims of torture with federal funding, which has been my clinical path for 25 years and living there. And on one of my very early trips, I was invited by a friend of a friend of a friend to a, a fet voodoo, a ceremony, and um, met this incredible mambo, which we, we crassly call a voodoo priestess, but it's a, it's a, she's a medicine person. And um, I met her, I think it was about 2000. And in that ceremony, she pulled me back into the inner chambers, um, the Tikai Mister, it's called, where she was initiating a person who would later become my sister. And we had, have spent a ton of, she's now passed away, but we became sort of a pair um, who she, she um, trained us together. But she just pulled me in and was very focused on me, and then at one point she just grabbed me and looked me in the eyes, having never met me or known, known anything about me, and said, you know, I think you're good at what you do. You're a good, you know, doctor, all the work you do. I never told her I was a psychotherapist, and then she said, but, but you're truly a mystic, so you're going to come back here many times. And I did, and it wasn't always planned. It was, and uh, she ended up being the person who um, told me I was going to be initiated, and, and that's a very, you know, deep long-term process, you know, over many years, in many ways, I'm still in that process. It doesn't end. You know, if we accept that kind of opening, that kind of portal, um, we remain open and we keep learning. So even though she's an ancestor now, um, you know, she still offers very potent teaching. So that was a long answer, but that's how I landed in Haiti and became um, very much a part of a, a local Haitian community, a Laku, um, and end of Haiti. Um, yeah, so <laughs> very blessed for that. Wow. And I will tell you, Susan, that she she taught me, one of the things Munchun taught me, and I have notes of some of their herbs down there. You know, they have their own plant medicine. And I didn't, she was quite old when I met her, so I have, I have notes and I've drawn pictures of these amazing plants. And they were, it was just wonderful, because I remember one time I was really ill with a, like a cough that I'd had for months and months. And she just, you know, told me what to collect and 24 hours, you know, gone. Months of coughing and all of that just gone. gone. Uh, so she's wow. a powerful, she's a powerful, she carried a lot of plant medicine. Yes. Yeah. Oh, fabulous. Movement. Somatic. Polyvagal. I was 
talking today about how important it is to reset the vagus nerve if you're dealing with long COVID or any post-viral syndrome. Tell us more about polyvagal therapy and the vagus nerve, please. So I... um you know, poly, the polyvagal theory, of course, is, is the work of Dr. Stephen Porges, and I, that's his expertise. Uh, I actually met him in 1999 at a conference and heard him speak and was deeply moved, both by his presence but also by what he was talking about. So in terms of, you know, the vagus nerve, but also, you know, in, in more clinical language, human behavior, its influence on human behavior. And... I um, I asked him a question. I was working with survivors of torture, and you know, a lot of people might you know might not think about torture in this way, but it's an extremely it's a horrific experience. It's also um, a twisted, intimate one because torturers get so close to their um, victims, right? They, I mean, it's very um, they they read them. There's especially sadistic tortures. There's a deep reading of of pain levels and of you know, they often get off on increasing pain. So that's, it's, it's, it's very um, painful to think about that type of human rights violation. Um, and as Steve was talking about facial movement, you know, and we know in vagus nerve, it's a nerve that is, um, you know, two primary circuits, the, the dorsal and the ventral vagal. But, you know, if you look at images of it, there's so, I mean, it, it dances, the threads, the nerve fibers dance through so much of our body traveling, you know, mostly, you know, near along the spine. Um, and he was talking about that upper ventral vagal, the more mammalian, more modern circuit and facial movements. And I was thinking about my clients, um, and how all of that is intentionally manipulated. And so I asked him a question, and he said, let's talk during a break. And so the blessing out of that experience is that, um, you know, we became friends and have had a lot of, we've shared a lot of ideas. And so polyvagal theory has had a very strong influence on my work and all the opportunities I've had to study with. I, you know, he's a mentor. Um, uh, I, I just, I, wove that into the work because one of the things about somatic and movement therapies that I think is important is, you know, for many years, mental health or behavioral therapies focused on behavior, cognition, and that's still kind of the dominant culture, if you will, in mental health. And part of it is because there's so much quote unquote evidence-based research that promotes the cognitive approaches and language and cognition and words are important and essential. That's a fierce part of how we communicate as humans. However, our thoughts, feelings, um, sensations, cognitions, all of that arise from the, um, you know, the seascape of our body. I mean, our body is such an intricate weaving of biology and physiology. So the rootedness of everything that we express and are in physiology and biology um, is re- has to be part of therapy, of, you know, psychotherapy, of the mental health or the behavioral health therapies. And, you know, really we're talking about how the body and the mind are a unified continuum. They're not separate. They got separated in Western traditions. I often focus to Descartes, you know, who's known for I think, therefore I am, as an international terrorist because he was the one who said, you know, the body can be you know, sensuality can be filthy and animals don't have feelings and we can abuse them. 
And so everything that arose from that mind-body split still plagues medicine, right? Modern medicine, Western medicine. I'm not, I'm not putting it down because there's some wonderful benefits that come from allopathic medicine, but that separation. So somatic brings the body, you know, front and center into the therapeutic relationship, the more traditional therapeutic relationship. Movement brings the primary language of the body. It is the first language we all speak. None of us is born with the ability to say, hey, mom, I'm hungry. It's time to breastfeed. Or, you know, mom, there's a cold breeze coming through, you know, whatever. We, we move. Um, we respond to inner movement, which is sensation, and move and sound. And sound and movement are on the same continuum. You can hear a hummingbird's wing. So, um, it's therapy that brings those back, you know, as central or core to the therapeutic process. And it's really, it's much more powerful and it's much more impactful because we're working with the, the place that we live, which is our body. And physiology, which going back to polyvagal and the vagus nerve, it's part of our biology and our physiology, right? The, the, the nervous system, you know, it, it, it seeks novelty, um, you know, it's, it's, I like to say it's our, it's our um, North Star or Southern Cross, right, the nervous system. It's, it's what guides us, you know, is this safe, is this not safe, do I move in this direction, do I move in that direction, where neurocepting is a, is a polyvagal term, which is subconscious. We're constantly scanning, safe or dangerous, safe or dangerous. I was listening to somebody talk about how to remember names, and she said, the first thing you have to understand is that when you meet someone, your hindbrain is going... Is this an enemy? Yes. Is this a friend? And you're not going to remember their name because that's not what your body is interested in. Right, exactly. And I thought it was brilliant. That's a one, yeah, that is brilliant. Yeah. I, yeah, I love when people can explain these things succinctly and clearly and crisply. And that's it. I mean, we're, you know, and the benefit of being human is, of course, we have this ability to add language and poetry and meaning and expression and that's all wonderful and beautiful and at the base of all of it is are you friend or are you foe am i moving in this direction or going in that you know where's my migration today so yes so um dance movement therapy honors movement i mean it's it's a somatic therapy that honors movement as that primary language um and dance is the creative expression of that and just in my personal journey, polyvagal theory taught me so much about the physiology and how important it is. And what I focus on in that is what Steve and I were talking one day, and we call it state shifting. And that's not an original term, but we sort of inserted it into this dialogue about psychology because he actually said to me once, what is it that you see in ceremony? What is it that you see, you know, like people can go to a therapist or they can go to a medicine person, right? Or they can go to whoever they want to when they want to heal or feel better or change something. And I thought about it and I said, it's state shifting. Well, the vagus nerve is, I'm thinking of a conductor of an orchestra, right? It's what guides and promotes our state shifting, those dorsal and ventral circuits, not part of the vagus nerve, but... Um, arose between the, the dorsal vagals, 500 million years old, the sympathetic adrenal, which arises from the spine, um, 400 million, and then the ventral vagal, then that smart vagus, is only 200 million years old, which is really old. But um, So these different circuits have different 
influences on our physiology. You know, do we need to shut down? Do we, does our heart need to increase? Does it need to decrease? Does our breath need to increase or decrease? So those physiological we need, we changes sweat, are always underneath. We need to get goosebumps. Right. I mean, these are, yes. these are mostly not things we can control by thinking. Exactly. Exactly. It's our body being us and guiding us and taking care of us in service of our survival and, you know, I say sometimes thrival, you know, it's, it's what, right, when we're elated, I mean, we can have a fast heart rate when we're excited or elated and also when we're afraid. So, yes, that's exactly what it is. And so um, what I always like to say is that state shifting, we can't shift our psychological state. So in my work, people come because they want to feel better you know, change something, I think, you know, we might call it depression or whatever, but what we're really talking about is state shifting. They want to be able to calm. They want to, their, their heart knows how to calm down. They want to reconnect to that. They want to calm to that, you know, reconnect to that calm belly, the ability to eat and digest again. So we can't shift psychological states if we don't shift physiological states. That's the root and the heart of the work. That's so beautifully I think everyone listening really feels that and feels that in their heart. And it's also, for me, a shift, but it's a shift that can only take place if we totally accept that there might not be a shift. Yes. Yes, thank you for saying that, actually, because one of the things that I think is really important, especially as we consider um, social justice and long-term oppression, which exists, you know, very in, in the United States, Turtle Island, where I live, as much as it, in other places. I mean, many of my clients have come from other countries. But long-term oppression or captivity, um, if we overprivilege and a lot of people do this. They talk about, oh, you know, we've got to get people into that ventral vagal state or get people connected or, you know, you've only got 10 sessions and check these boxes. Um, we're not acknowledging and recognizing that every single person, body, human, ha- we all have our own sense of timing. I like to say that honoring and restoring our, our own sense of timing is embodied justice. So people wow. may not be able to shift for a day or a month or a year and there are things that may never shift and I have seen that with survivors of torture because of the direct you know violation to the body and the mind to the, to the body mind there are people you know they're, they're dysregulated you know their digestion or their nervous system and it, it may not change and so then we, we honor that and work with um, what we can but I'm so glad you said that, Susan, because it's so important. Yes. Yeah. We keep using the word somatic, and I'm aware that not everybody really understands what we mean by somatic. So somatic soma um, relates to the body. I mean, it means I don't. It means body. I don't know if that's exactly what it means. If we um, deconstructed like in Latin or something, but it's the body. So I often say body-based therapies. Um, Soma extends itself, I think, into also our perception of body, you know, and 
our thinking body, but we're, it's talking about into, it really references the body, which, you know, one might say all therapy includes the body, but as I said previously, a lot of therapies have disconnected from the body um, as a site of all human experience. Classic Freudian therapy is very disconnected from the body. It is. It is. Extremely disconnected from the body. And to to me, the whole somatic therapy movement and the acknowledgement of trauma and the long uh, repercussions from trauma in our lives is really... um, exciting things that are happening uh, really kind of right now in therapy. They've been simmering a bit under the surface for a while, but they seem to be really coming up very much so in the past few years. Yes, and it's important um, to acknowledge that they're not new, right? So I get frustrated when I hear people promote their own new form of somatic therapy. This is ancient wisdom. I like to say science is finally beginning to recognize what the ancients have always known. So it's ancient. The indigenous First Nations people, and, and I have some of that ancestry, this is our way. This is our way of being. So it's just being cataloged, if you will, or organized, researched, and you know sometimes languaged um, in newer ways, but none of it is new. Neither are the creative arts therapies. You know, you simply need to go into one of those magnificent caves where someone, where there are still paintings that are telling somebody's story. Um, the arts, you know, have been how people have exalted and mourned and celebrated and all of that for, for as long as I think there's been some form of human, you know, or, or in a, on our evolutionary journey, um, becoming human. So the arts and the body are very, very ancient ways, and it's important to acknowledge that wisdom um, and not claim it as new or, you know, and I, so I'm very careful. I mean, I have names for my work simply because, you know, some, somebody said, you need to name your work, and I'm like, well, first of all, it's not my work. It wouldn't exist without my client. So it's simply a reflection of our, collaborate, our collaboration, our reciprocity. And and then you know it's just that if you need if you're going to advertise a class you need to have a name for it so you know <laughs> right. things but right but it's you know it's so much bigger than the name um, and it and it you know it's constantly new and it's constantly regenerating um, again bowing to the elders and the ancestors is so important would you please tell people how they can learn more how they can get in touch with you. I'd be um, delighted to. I have a website, um, which, again, is another thing that I have somebody else to deal with it because I'm not good at that kind of stuff. It's www.ambergray.com, and the wonderful people who know about these technological things have put one of those forms on there where you can contact me. Um, so, that's the, yeah, that's the best place that, that I'm easily reached. I do have a Facebook page, Amber Gray Movement Therapies, um, I'm not so good with technology, <laughs> but I do know how to get onto that and look at that, and I can get messages there as well. Suppose someone's been listening tonight, and long about now she's saying, you know, this somatic therapy, this movement therapy, this all sounds like really great, but I'd, is there someone around me? How do I find 
someone close by? Can I just like go to a dance and that'll be it? Well, what I would say about that is, I mean, dancing, you know, dance movement therapy is a very particular, it's actually a psychotherapy. I mean, dance therapists can get licensed. So if somebody wants that more clinical approach, which can be very helpful for particular things, um, the American, it's the ADTA, it's the American Dance Therapy Association, actually has a website and lists, we're all, dance therapists, you know, we all, we're all listed where we are. Same thing with continuum. So continuum as a movement practice is not considered a therapy, but dance is therapeutic, right? It's healing, it's therapeutic, it's restorative, it's many things. So the Continuum Teachers Association also lists continuum teachers and talks about the work. And then I would also say, you know, if somebody is drawn to a dance class, whether it's um, conscious dance or ecstatic dance or Nia or, you know, some of the forms that are more structured. Sometimes people need more structure, sometimes free movement. You know, again, in body justice, if the timing isn't right for that much expression, which can be scary to some people, you know, more structured practices, yoga, any movement class offer um, change date shifting, right? And I think the most important thing is that if we're drawn to something, if we enjoy it, if there's a shift where we feel more happy, calm, present, whatever it is, a shift that we would define as, ah, yes, this is moving me in a direction where I feel more of myself, then go because it's helpful, it's healing. Um, You know, on the continuum of all the different ways to move from wild and free to a structured class to a very clinical approach, there's so many ways. What's important is the person be comfortable. Find someone who helps you to find your way. That's what it sounds like you're saying to me. Yes, yes. Um, because, because you know, it's, it's, I mean, dance movement therapy continuum are still, are still small fields, and so there may not be people doing these particular practices where some of our listeners are, um, but I think, you know, movement is so important. You know, Emily Conrad used to say, it's not something we do, it's who we are. You know, and I like to say the body is a movement. Yeah. Wow. It's, it's, movement it's, isn't something we do, it's who we are. Absolutely. I mean, if we just pause and think about in any given mo- moment, you know, neurons are firing every like five to 50 times a second. We breathe 12 to 20 breaths a minute. Our heart beats 60 to 80 beats a minute. Those are just three of the, like, all the rhythms in our body, right? All the physiological processes. We're a sea changes movement. That's, it's who we are. We're constantly moving. Even in death, you know, in stillness, we're still moving. It's, I always say, people say, well, stillness is not movement. I say, well, if you look at a still ocean or pond, there's so much happening underneath. Even in death, our bodies are moving. Decomposition is a movement. So it's who we are. So any movement practice that somebody's drawn to is going to be helpful. And I know in my own life, like, you know, I, there's periods where I do a lot of yoga, and then I shift to something else. I might take, I mean, I'm more walks in nature. You know, I might, you know, like I'd love to walk my dog anytime. But anything that we're drawn to is going to be um, it's going to promote our wholeness. That's what I want to say. Promote our wholeness. That is 
lovely. I really appreciate that. Oh. Could keep asking you questions and listening happily to your answers, but here we are on a blog talk show, and they're very severe about cutting us off when they decide we've had enough. And uh, so that's going to come up soon. So I'm going to give you an opportunity to um, say something that I haven't asked you that you wanted to talk about tonight. Oh, something that I wanted to... um, Goodness gracious. I think that that, that I probably already referred to it, um, but what I would lo- what I would love to sort of um, reflect is that I think it's essential that we all move, and you know, just a, a, I'm going to say a loving reminder, an invitation for everyone to consider. You know, am I am I honoring the movement of who I am? Are there more ways that I can move? You know, for all the things, for all the reasons that that would be derived from our conversation this evening. Just that that it's and especially in this, you know, I call I call the pandemic the long fit, right? It had a had a terrible influence on my body. I was at a computer much more than I ever thought I would be, and the technological age is, you know, I like to say we went from, you know sounds and movement, you know, uh, when we develop, like we start with sound and movement and then there's symbols and images and this sort of follows human evolution and then there's language and also we're in this crazy techno world where people aren't even writing, you know, what is it, longhand anymore. I mean, they're not writing cursive. So um, we have to move. It's essential to move because that's how we touch into and um, continue um, the essence of who we are. And I think I like to say, you know, I always say, may my life be in service of evolution. Evolution isn't done. It's a process we're all in. And I think movement is a really clear and and important pathway um, that we can all be in service of evolution. I imagine that we are reweaving the healing cloak of the ancients. Mm -hmm. And that Each of us brings threads and fibers, stories and recollections to the weaving. And I want to thank you, Amber, very much for all that you are adding to this weaving and will continue to add to our weaving. And Sarah Ellen, thank you for helping me to restore herbal medicine to its rightful place as people's medicine. And thank you so much for helping me to get together the Hypericum Conference coming up starting May 1st, everybody. Oh, my gosh. Woohoo! Get your shoes off. Go out and play. Green blessing.